Luke 12. You follow as I read in that which is inspired, inerrant, the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for your many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, just to remind you, I know you can't remember this far back, but um, back in the middle of September, I told you that I was putting together this kind of a four-part package um, to, just to kind of get us on the same page as to where we're headed in the next three or four or five years. Uh, of course, the, the, uh, the apex of that little package was on the 3rd of October when we talked about mobilizing the laity. But my point is simply this. I, 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 I don't do this to you. You know I don't. I don't ask you to run out and listen to my sermons because many of them aren't worth listening to. But, but they're, um, it would be wise, I think, for you if you've not been able to get this whole four-part package. Uh, not last week, though. Last week we observed the Lord's Supper, but those uh, two in September and the two in October. If you could listen to the four of them, just to, just to keep you in the same on the same page with the rest of us. That's that's all I'm pleading for. So they're online. You can have access to them, but I, I would recommend just. Just in terms of a unified move forward that you take a listen. Now, this event that I just read you takes place during the, the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ when he was at the height of his popularity. I, I, I didn't read you this part, but look, look at verse 1 of chapter, 13, of chapter 12. Verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, verses. I mean, um, th- what I read you takes place on that day. 
when many thousands had gathered to the point that they were trampling on one another. Jesus is speaking to a very large audience, a very large eager audience. And in the midst of his addressing that audience and teaching that audience, someone in the audience very rudely raises his hand, maybe he didn't raise his hand, but shouts out to Jesus, <coughs> teacher, tell my brother that he's supposed to share the inheritance with me. Uh, this, this man is trying to get Jesus to solve an inheritance issue that had arisen um, in this man's family. Now, guys, the, the Old Testament includes laws of inheritance. You can find some of them in Deuteronomy 21, if you'd like to check. There are such things as laws of inheritance in the Old Testament, and it wasn't unusual when there was a dispute in the inheritance for the dispute to be settled by bringing the case to a rabbi or to rabbis so that they could solve this matter. So that's what's going on here. It's, it's not that it's all that unusual. It's just that it's rude. It's rude in the midst of Jesus speaking to this audience that this guy wants to take advantage of this occasion to get his problem solved. Jesus refuses to get dragged into that family problem that this man is, is voicing. But what he does do is that he issues a warning. And then he tells a parable. Now the parable you already know. You, you've, you know the parable about the guy who, man, he had a lot of money and he got all this goods and, and, uh, and oh, the language is, you know, I have ample goods, um, for, uh, for many years to come. So he says, what I need to do is to tear down my barns, my little barns and build bigger barns. And so that I can store all of my goods and then I can say to my soul, relax. Take it easy. Everything's fine. And then, of course, God comes and says, you fool. You, you know that parable. You, you've heard that parable. It's, um, it's often alluded to. It's often preached. It's the one that gets most of the sermons. What I want to draw your attention to this morning is not that. What I want to draw your attention to is the warning. Um, the warning, there's really two parts of it. There's the warning itself, and then there's the because. That is, the rationale behind the warning. So we're not going to look at the parable. What I want us to look at is simply the two parts of, first of all, the, the, um, um, the warning itself. It's in verse 15. And then his rationale for the warning. Okay, so first of all, let's take a look at the warning itself. He says, be on your guard, take care against all, all kinds of greed. Now, let me explain that real quick, guys. Gang, I know that our translations vary here. Um, in fact, the one I read out of it uses the word covetousness. 
The, the, the Greek word is pleonexia, uh, and in the Greek lexicons, the, the first word that is given in the lexicons to, dis- to, to um, interpret or, uh, or translate pleonexia is the word greed. My point is simply this. I think the NIV's got it better when it says, be on your guard against all sorts, kinds of greed. You did know there was more than one kind, didn't you? Oh, there's all kinds of kinds. Uh, there's all kinds of bunches. Oh, man, yeah. And, and, and this warning that Jesus issues to his first century audience is a warning, ladies and gentlemen, that we had better listen to ourselves. It is a warning for us to be on our guard for all sorts of greed. It's a warning that is relevant because many today, or at least maybe, maybe not many, but some today think greed is good. Greed is right. Greed works. That's what Gordon Gecko said in the movie Wall Street. The first Wall Street, that was back in... In 1987, the new one is just a remake, not a remake, but a a continuation of that one when when the statement was made. And if you've never seen that clip, if you've never seen that clip about greed is good, I want want you to see it. It lasts 40 seconds, but you need to see this. Show it to us, guys. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. You know, guys, there is a there is a statement that the prophet Isaiah makes in chapter five. And he says in that um, in that statement, he says, Woe, woe to the man that calls evil good and good evil. Greed has become so commonplace that we're looking for ways to to normalize it. We're looking for ways to make it to make it celebratable. You know, I, I told the Wednesday night crowd this story a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I read a book years ago. Um, it was back when Ron Blue, some of you don't know that name, but um, Ron Blue back in the uh, early 80s, he was kind of the financial guru back in the, in the 80s. Um, uh, but he wrote a book entitled Managing, Managing Your Money. Managing Your Money. And in that book, he tells a story about banks. And he says that banks now have a term, a word, that they use to describe those who pay off their credit cards on time. You got that? That is, banks have a term that they use to describe people, like many of you, who pay off your credit cards on time so that you can avoid the interest charges. You know what they call you? 
deadbeats. Now, there used to be a day when deadbeat referred to people who wouldn't pay their bills. But now people who pay their bills, which means that the banks can't make any money, we're the deadbeats. Woe to you! When you call good evil and evil good. Woe when you call greed good. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, it's become, um, in some circles, applaudable. The thing that will save countries and companies alike. But guys, um, uh, there's others of us who don't particularly agree with Mr. Gecko. There's others of us who don't even know that we're infected to varying degrees. That is, we're infected to in varying degrees. You, you know, I, I alluded to that Plavix commercial several months back. You know, the commercial on television about Plavix, and it has this picture of an artery, and, and these little globules are floating through the arteries, and, and some of them are collecting on the walls of the arteries, and all of a sudden, you know, boom, you, you have cause all this stuff. You know, there's just no telling what's, what's collecting. Uh, even as we sit here this morning on these, on the walls of our arteries. I mean, who knows what's going on in there? You know, uh, how many of us right now, and we don't even know it, have these little mounds of globules that are on the walls of our arteries? But in like kind, how many of us are guilty of greed and don't even know it? Don't even know it's in there. Don't know that it's going on inside. Just like those globules. You know, guys, I've been in the ministry. I've been, I've been ordained in the ministry for 35 years. I went to seminary for three, so professional clergyman, 38, almost 40 years. But, but been ordained over 35 years. I have had people come to my office and confess all sorts and brands of sin. Some of the things that they have told me that I cannot mention in a mixed company. I have had things said to me that absolutely, you not really, shocking, debased, debaucherous things confessed to me. But not once, not one time, never in the history of my ministry. I heard two other pastors say the same thing. I'm just adding mine to theirs. But not one time has anyone ever come into my office and said, Dr. Young, you've got to help me. Because I am eat up with greed. Not one time. You see, guys, it seems that blindness to the condition is an intrinsic part of the condition. 
it's it's just the nature of the whole thing to convince us that it's it's not there. What what makes greed so sinister, folks, is that it fools us into believing that we're not guilty of it. Like the little globules that are gathering on the walls of our arteries and we don't even know they're there. Guys, Jesus says here in this warning that greed comes in many shapes and sizes. There is a there is a money sickness and it is not confined to the wealthy. It's not confined to the upper class. It's not just the capitalists who are guilty. Oh, the communists are guilty as well. It's 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 not just the haves. And it's the have-nots as well. All of which leads me to conclude, ladies and gentlemen, and suggest that we're all guilty. It's just a matter of degree. So this warning on the part of the Savior is for us. Beware. Be on your guard against all forms Shapes, sizes, varieties of greed. And then he says, he gives the rationale, the because. Beware of all manner of greed because. Some of your translations will use the word for. It's just a synonym for because. He he gives you an explanation. Beware. Because, and I'm going to use my words instead of his, beware because money lies to you. Money says, I can be your happiness. My net worth becomes my self-worth. Guys, I want you to see this. So if you could flip back. I'm in Luke 12. Just if you could flip back to Luke 7, just five chapters back. I I, I think it would be very beneficial if you could see this. This is another event in the life of Jesus Christ. And um, he's performing ministry. And some leaders of the Jews come to him. And the leaders are coming to him on behalf of a Roman centurion. Now, a Roman centurion, you know, a centurion is somebody that's a captain over five, uh, over a hundred people. A Roman centurion has got a servant who is sick. And so the Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they say, listen, we really want you to heal this guy's servant. And if you're in Luke 7, look at verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For or because he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Do you see what they said, ladies and gentlemen? Now listen, Jesus, you really need to do this for this guy because he's worthy. And the reason that he's worthy is because he loves Israel and he built us our synagogue. So tell me, ladies and gentlemen. Why are you worthy? 
What makes you have worth? Did you build anybody a synagogue lately? What gives you a sense of worth? I have worth because. What's next? It's those things that give me my worth. Money tells me it can be my happiness. It can be my worth. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how much sadness, how much, how much depression do you experience when your 401k statements arrive each month and you see how much money has evaporated in this recession? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm making up a little bit of this because I don't think my figures are right, but I'm just going to, it, it'll make the point. I know I heard somebody on CNN say something like this, that during this recession, uh, Americans have lost $3 trillion from their portfolios. So that means that America's happiness has taken a $3 trillion hit. Because we believed that our money gave us worth. So now, tell me, how much are you worth? What is your worth now? That everybody's taking this hit. I guess we have to say it was less than before. I mean, you're worth less now than you were in 2008, I guess. Guys, let me say this to you. Um, you, you. You who have made money, a lot of money. Let's say you've, you've been successful corporately or professionally. You, you, you've, made, you've made a lot of money. Tell me. Are you as happy as you thought you would be? Are you? Did it do what you thought it was going to do for you? No. That's because we believed a lie, ladies and gentlemen. We believed a lie ever since we were kids. That you were a something if you had money. Not, not only does it say, I can be your happiness. It also lies to us by saying, I can buy your happiness. Oh, sure, Dr. Young, I know, I know better than that, that I know that money can't, uh, you know, it's not my worth, I, you know, I know that, but I'll tell you this, Dr. Young, <laughs> I can sure get happy over all the stuff that money can buy me, <laughs> it's not my worth, but it can buy me some, it's not my happiness, but I get happy over what it buys me, and invariably, the more stuff I accumulate, the more complex my life becomes. And the more complex my life becomes, something has to give. And the two most common losers are my soul, that is my spiritual health, or my family. You know, I, I've never owned a boat, um, but I've heard this from several boat owners. You've heard this little adage, have you not? 
the two happiest days of owning a boat are the day you bought it and the day you sold it? You know, to me, I, one of the, one of, <laughs> one of the greatest illustrations of stuff complicating my life is people filling in their swimming pools. I don't blame you. Because if I own it, I gotta fix it, I gotta paint it, I gotta repair it, I gotta insure it, I gotta use it. Because all that stuff that my money has bought me that was supposed to bring me happiness has done nothing but complicate my life. Tell me, my friends, as you've accumulated stuff, are you accumulating regrets along with it? That is, as you sacrifice things that are more important to have the stuff, has the stuff the stuff that you bought, has it delivered on all its promises? Or do you wish that you could get rid of some of it? You do, don't you? You know how we got into this? Because we believed a lie. Guys, I want to show you another couple of passages, and, and one of them is in Luke. It, this time, go to Luke 8. This is the story of the, uh, the the parable of the four soils. You know that parable, Jesus goes out to scatter his seed, and he scatters it on four different soils, and one's on the, the, the pathway, and the birds eat it up, and then it's on the... Um, on the rocky ground and it's it withers away because there's no depth of soil and then it comes to the thorny ground and the seed falls on the thorny ground can i read you what jesus says about the hearing of the word in the lives of some people it's in verse 14 luke 8:14 jesus is speaking and he says and as for what fell among the thorns They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They're choked by their stuff. And as a result... They end up in a perpetual state of spiritual immaturity. Or worse. And that's what our stuff gets us. I got, I got one more. You don't need to turn to this one. This one, But you've heard of this one before. I mean, you've heard this before. And meddling preachers like me have used it before. But it's, it's in 1 Timothy 6. And um, it starts like this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But that's not the end of the verse. That's really only a third of the verse. This is 1 Timothy 6.10. The rest of the verse goes on like this. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many pangs. Don't you love that language? Pierced themselves. You know, it's one thing to be pierced. It's another thing to pierce yourself. So guys, I got ten minutes. Here's what I'm trying to do. I, I want to try and help you, help us, avoid some of the... Some of the piercings. I am calling you to develop the spiritual discipline of generosity. Now, those are not my words. Let me give you my words that I have been saying for eight years. I am calling us to live more simply so that we can give more sacrificially so that we can accomplish the Great Commission. Those are my words. Said more with greater erudition, I'm calling you to develop, to, to develop the spiritual discipline of generosity. And I'm suggesting that that is the way away from, out of the piercings. Okay, Dr. Young. How much should I give then? Because, you know, I've always been told it was 10%. Well, it's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Zacchaeus gave 50% and Jesus applauded him. The rich young ruler, of the rich young ruler, Jesus demanded 100%. So which is it? Is it 10%? Is it 50%? Or is it 100%? What you're going to have to do is that you're going to have to go to God and you're going to have to ask him and then get creative. And that couldn't be a bad thing. But what I want to do is close with five hints, hints as to what this is going to look like. But by no means am I trying to give you details. I'm trying to give you broad strokes so that it will not hamper you from going to God and asking and facing him with what he would have you do. Hit number one. Give until I know that money is not my worth. Now, now, what percentage is that? I don't know. But I can tell you this. But for, for many of us, it's going to be way beyond 10%. I'm going to give until I realize that money is not my worth. Second hand. Give sacrificially. Give until I feel the pinch. That is, I cannot do that because that money belongs to the Lord. I cannot buy that because that money belongs to the Lord. I cannot spend that because that money belongs to the Lord. Pinch. 
That's what it means to give sacrificially. Third, make giving a priority for you. That is, over over vacations, over a new car, over over expensive jewelry. Fourth, hint, give until money becomes just money. It's not my security. It's not my worth. It's not my self-esteem. I give until money is just money. Here's number five. Go up. Most of us have fallen so far short for so long that that sounds rather impossible. Maybe. Check it out. But guys, I I may be wrong, but I don't think God is going to tell any of us that we're giving too much. So go up. Guys, our text is is found in Romans chapter, excuse me, in in Luke chapter um, 12. And I stopped reading at verse 21, but right after 21, Jesus launches into this, you know, consider the lilies of the field, you know, how they don't toil or spin, but Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The birds, I feed them, yada, 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 yada. And then he's closing this up. And he comes to verse 32 in chapter 12 and he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. My point is simply this, guys. I think Jesus is pointing out that our real problem, our real problem is not that we're stingy. Our real problem is that we're scared. And so all that I'm asking of you this morning will require an exercise of faith. That is thrilling. I promise you, you will never, ever regret an occasion where you exercised and demonstrated faith in God. You'll never regret it. I promise. Guys, this is no time for hoarding. Jesus liquidated everything to pay for my sin. Having his love is enough. He became poor so that I could become rich. And one of these days, I don't know what it's going to be, but I I promise you, one of these days, you're going to wish that you had taken some of this advice. I'm not trying to scare you. That's not a, I'm not, because very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, my salvation doesn't depend on how much I give or, or don't give. My sin is paid for by Jesus Christ, irregardless of my level of giving. I'm not saying that. Here's, here's what I'm saying. It's kind of a illustration. Did you see the movie, The Titanic? <laughs> I love that movie. Um, love, but in, in the movie, The Titanic, um, there's a scene when, of course, the ship is going down. There's this older woman. And she runs back to her. She's wealthy. She's in a, a, a full-length mink coat. 
she runs back to her stateroom and all her jewelry is sitting on top of something and she she takes her arm and she just and she grabs three oranges you remember that and then runs to the to the lifeboat with the three oranges because there had been as you could well understand a significant change in her outlook and in her value system. One day, I'm not saying you're going to be on a Titanic. I'm not saying, but one day, a light's going to go off and you're going to say, I wish, I wish I had taken some of that advice. Beware, my brother and sister in Christ, against all forms of greed, because your life does not consist of your possessions. Our Father, I do pray that you will stir us all up, not so that there can be more gadgets and baubles in this church but so that we can accomplish the Great Commission. So that we can spend in a way that will make a difference in India and China and in Central America and Brazil and the Czech Republic in uh, Hong Kong in places in this city that are under-resourced and that could use help from people who've got more than we need. So, Lord, would you, uh, would you direct us yourself? Jimmy Young can't direct these people, Lord. So direct your people to the place where we, we come to the conclusion that money is just money. It doesn't, doesn't add to nor subtract from my worth. It's just money. Might we use it here in a way that will give you the greatest of glory. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.